You're listening to Unjiggered, a bartender podcast where we interview highly successful bartenders about their careers, lives, and the passion of bartending. This week we caught up with Nico Dosotto, bar owner of Danico in Paris, Mace in New York, and Kaido in Miami, who found his passion for travel in Australia and who designs drinks with flavor ideas from all over the world. With this podcast, we want to peel back the mask and discover just how the greats really became the greats. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, my name is Nico de Soto. I'm a bartender and owner of Mace in New York, Danico in Paris and Kaido in Miami. Cool. Thank you very much for coming over. So let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, you are uh, the well-known industry travel superstar. Like You literally are the, probably the bartender who travels the most. Yeah, I travel. I travel a lot. No, it's it's true. Uh, not I'm not behind the the bar of my bars anymore. So I do a lot of travels. Is it like you try to combine a passion for traveling, or did traveling just come up as a no, work opportunity? No, it, it, it's uh, you know like uh, I start I start bartending because I was uh, traveling and I kept on doing that because it's possible to travel and bartend. Originally, um, uh, my first real travel was going to Australia. You know, there is a working holiday visa mm-hmm. uh, for France. And uh, and the moment I saw that on TV, I'm like, okay, I'm going to save money. I stop what I'm doing and I'm going to go there for one year. And over there, you know, I needed a job. So I fell in love with two things, traveling and uh, and bartending. Uh, bartending, why? You know, like, uh, so you need to, of course, uh, work in Australia uh, if you stay for one year. And I was like, why not the bar? You know, you, you work at night, you have fun, you drink, you party. So for me, it was, uh, I didn't know the whole world of uh, cocktails. You know, you know, in France, we had a very bad um, scene. Uh, it was not at all what it was now, so I didn't know that you could do all the stuff. I didn't know that the spirit tastes good because the only spirit we were having uh, uh, when we were going out was like the cheap one that to buy in supermarket. So I fell in love with everything, and then you know, little by little, um, went back to France, uh, start working for Experimental Cocktail Club, uh, opened for them uh, the one in uh, London, the one in New York, and uh, after that, you know, I wanted to open my own bar. And, and Greg Baum from Cocktail Kingdom uh, offered me the, the spot uh, where it was in his village and it all started from there. And after that, of course, you know, with the consulting, the pop-ups, because before the pop-ups were not really uh, famous and, and now like it's getting crazy with that. So doing that a lot uh, during the year. And I tried to combine, you know, visiting as well because it's important when you go to a city that uh, you visit the city as well, not just going and drinking, but you know, there's a lot of stuff to see, there's a lot of people to meet. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit of our industry problem. Is it sometimes when you do guest shifts because you end up in a city for three days, and you meet some friends, and then you go out, drink, 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 bar, 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 and then you leave, and you haven't even seen uh, anything of the city. Yeah, Yeah. and and that's a shame, you know. Like uh, especially, you know, sometimes the the people invite you to do guest shift to show you, of course, their bar and what they're doing, but to show you their culture and their country and their city as well. So, you know. Staying in your hotel room, even if you can go over, I think it's it's almost a bit insulting, you know, for the people inviting you. So, mm. so what were you doing before you moved to Australia? Oh my God, uh, I got <laughs> I, I had a computer science degree originally, so nothing to do with the bar. Uh, I hated it. Uh, we were like a hundred people. It was probably like ninety ninety five guys talking about video games all day. So I was like. 
I'm gonna get out of here. Uh, <laughs> and I did a, a few little jobs, you know. I did uh, I did modeling uh, for for a little while when I was young. Uh, I did postman uh, as well. Oh really? <laughs> and after that, after that, I was gonna go back to study, you know. And, and then and they really they released that visa for Australia, so I was like, and I changed totally uh, my career. So how was uh, Australia when you arrived there? Like what year are we talking, more or less? Uh, it was 2000, uh, end of 2004. Okay, cool. So I went two years, that one, and then went back in 2007. For well, year. Where did you decide to go in Australia? Which city? Oh, so so the first year I stayed in uh, Sydney for five months. Okay. And then the winter I went to Cairns, because, you know, the winter it was warmer over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second year I came back, I lived in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Cairns again for the for the winter. And uh, then we bought a camper van, so I was traveling with my ex-girlfriend all around Australia and pretty much covering, I think we did 20,000 kilometers driving. No way. <laughs> How was that? Uh, it was good, uh, but uh, long, you know, like uh, you, 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 in Australia, you drive on those roads, like you're going to drive from one point to another, it's 400 kilometers and you're like, oh, we're going to stay there. And you arrive there and it's just a petrol station and... And the, and, and the saloon or something like that, you know, the, so she so was like, oh, okay, we're going to drive to the next city, then it's 400 more kilometers. And, you know, so long road, so it's, it can be a bit, uh, and I was the only one driving, but uh, it is fun, you know, sometimes you, you, you can't, um, you can't really drive at night because you have animals on the road, so it can be very dangerous. All the kangaroos, for example, they, they, when they see the light of the car, they jump on you. Really? So, yeah, so it's very dangerous. So basically, when you, when you, when it starts to get dark, you stop the car and you sleep. But when you wake up sometime, you know, like, so you drive a little bit by, with the darkness and, uh, and then you park. And of course, you sleep and you wake up in the morning and you have the best sunrise. You know, sometimes you see a landscape that you didn't see because when you, when you park, it was dark. Uh, you have the best uh, wake up uh, morning call in, uh, in Australia. So after Australia, you realize you really like bartending. What was your next step after that? Oh, but, uh, after, what, what do you mean? Uh, after Australia, where did you go? Because I'm, I'm sure your visa. So finished. after Australia, uh, basically, when I went, my plan in to go to, in Australia was just to go to Sydney and stay there uh, one year. And then I was like, but why staying only in Sydney? So I went to Cairns, and then I was like, oh, but you have New Zealand next to it. So I went to New Zealand for one month, and I was, oh, but we are close to Fiji, so I went to Fiji, and I went to Hong Kong on the way back to France, and that then I got beaten, you know, like by by travels. Uh, so I, 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 I worked for one year in, in France. And then start traveling backpacking in South America. So we did uh, Argentina, no, I think we did Peru, Bolivia, Chile, Argentina, Paraguay, Uruguay, then Easter Island, then Tahiti, and then Australia again for one year. And after that, Indonesia for two months, Malaysia, Borneo. So yeah, then I was, uh, I just, want, all I wanted to do is travel and visit like new countries. How did you sustain this travel? Uh, did you work somewhere while we were yeah, doing it? Or? Yeah, but basically I was working behind the bar in France, saving, then traveling for four or five months, then working again, you know, in Australia, mm-hmm. and then and traveling again, and etc. You know. Did you work in some other destinations uh, where, like, say, in South America? Did you do some? No, no. I'm, of course, you know, I did a guest shift, a lot of guest shift, but work like, uh, like, f- like a regular work behind the bar. No, only, uh, only in uh, Vancouver. Okay. For the winter games, I think we worked like two months there. Okay. Uh, at what point did you decide, okay, I need to find a stable job or a... Well, it's pretty late. You know, I started attending, I was 28. So, and I, I didn't know it would be my career. Oh, but at the beginning, it was just for food. And then I realized, you know, because in France, it was not really a, 
a job. Uh, a bartender, people will say, oh, you're bartending. Are you still student or something? Uh -huh. you know, it's, not yeah, like, yeah. It's, not, it's not a career. Then I realized being bar manager, you can actually make decent money and, you know, this, this good bar. And, and, and then, yeah, for me, it was, uh, it was it. What was the first bar you managed? Uh, Experimental Cocktail Club. No, actually, it was Mama Shelter. Mama Shelter, it's uh, a hotel in Paris. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we did the opening. Uh, I was working with uh, my assistant, was Joseph Acavon, who has Mabel mm -hmm. in, uh, mm -hmm. in Paris. And we worked there a little bit, and then I joined the team at ECC, and yeah. What year are we talking? Uh, so ECC, it was 2009. Okay, um, so more or less at the beginning of it, was it? Yeah, they opened in 2007. They basically launched the scene in Paris. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there is some cool bar before uh, that's more classic and hotels bar, but they really launched it. You know, like the American way of uh, of bar, like speakeasy style a little bit, even if it's not a speakeasy, but you know, those kind of drink, uh, they got the help of uh, Audrey Sanders. Uh, on the menu, and that changed the the, the, the scene. Uh, if you see all the bars today in Paris, I think like pretty much everyone worked for them at some point. Oh, really? I was, for example, I was behind the bar with Karina, mm -hmm. who, mm -hmm. uh, who has Candelaria, and, and Josh. Um, and yeah, like after that, some other guys work and join the team, and now they have their own bar. So it's a uh, which one came first? Was it the one in London or the one in Paris? The one in, Lond uh, the one in Paris. Paris was 2007. We opened London in December 2010. And New York, I think, in April 2012. Yeah. So did you go to open the one in London? Yes. Okay. How was that experience for you? It was good. It was, uh, you know, for me, it was uh, a big uh, challenge because I was just a bartender and... and for me, London, I was looking at London, my God, this is the real scene, you know, like this is, people are not joking Very over there. Day, yeah. And I was like a bit, uh, well, now I have to 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 make my, my proof. How do we say that? You know, prove like, myself. Yeah, to yeah. prove myself. So, um, so yeah, but it was good. It was good. It was very exciting to to live in a in a new city again uh, with a great bar scene. And, uh, and it was a big challenge and I really liked it. Yeah. What did you do after ACC? After ACC, so after we move, uh, we went to the open the one in New York, and after that, uh, so basically, I had a little story. Um, so I, I was I was dating a girl for three years at that time, and she came with me in New York, and she hated New York, and she and we broke up, and uh, she went back to to Europe, and I decided to go back for her uh, back to Europe. So uh, after uh, you broke up, I, I, after yeah, yeah, tactical to mistake get, to right get there, her back. Friend. So <laughs> I, I came back uh, came back to London. Uh, basically for that. So I left TCC and uh, at that time we were looking for location with Tunisia mm -hmm. and Coco. I don't know if you know Coco. Yeah. Uh, Coco mm -hmm. sure. So we looked for a location for, for, for a year, uh, basically uh, 10, 10 months, uh, couldn't find something uh, right. Uh, and during that time, you know, I was working a bit at Happiness Forgets and uh, 69 Cobra Crew. And, um, and I wasn't sure anymore if I wanted to do something in London. I, I, I went to Brazil for one month to clear my mind. Uh, travel by myself and I decided no, London is not the right fit at the same moment Greg told me listen I have that spot in East Village do you want to open a bar together and that's where uh, Mesa starts you know and, um, so and a few months later we opened Let's talk a little bit about uh, ECC for a moment because it's like it's the one of the few companies that actually open a place in Paris then all or not, then New York, which are three completely different markets, right? Two different, com yeah, completely different. Um, and they, they open in Ibiza as well. Ah, okay. That's even a more different <laughs> market. More different market. They have a Michelin. I mean, yeah, it's uh, they, they, they knew what to do. I think London was a huge success. Very busy from the beginning, good location. 
uh, New York closed, unfortunately. But yeah, no, it's the the point at that time was I was going to be the bar manager, open venues, Shanghai, Sydney. You know, they were they were aiming more cities. Uh, I think they changed a little bit now. Uh, they they more focus on hotels. Okay. And, uh, and and some restaurant at some point as well. How did you change the product from one city to the other, or were you trying to keep it as close as possible to the original one, or were you changing it? No, I I, uh, I change uh, I change. I mean, the, the, my type of drink in London and New York were pretty much basically the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you know, like you have to adjust according to the people's palate. I think in London uh, the palate is way drier than New York. Okay. So someone, I remember when I when I I, I live in New York for a little bit uh, before we opened ECC London. I left the group and then they they, they came and asked me to open in, in ECC London with them. I worked at uh, Painkiller and Dram uh, oh, during yeah. that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was for six months working, you know, like uh, in in New York and going to all the bars. And when I moved to London to ECC, when I was going to bars, I was like, "What is no sugar in those drinks? It was so dry, you know. I was not used to that." And um, and then after that, you know, of course, I got used to it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's different. If you go to Miami, for example, it's very, very sweet. Like people from Miami, you go to New York, uh, they think the the dr- drink are dry. So but yeah, yeah. They, okay. yeah, but like Miami, uh, Miami is the kind of place where you got these huge margarita glasses, right? With yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I remember those are the biggest cocktail glasses I've ever seen <laughs> there in Miami. Yeah. Yeah, it's Miami, but you know, and it goes as well for other other cities. Not not only for dryness or sweetness. Um, some some country, for example, if you go to uh, Cyprus or Lebanon, there's no drink with egg. No drink. When I do Geshef, I always ask what people like because if you do a drink with egg, no one will order it. Um, in in Lebanon, for example, they have you know they put a lot of citrus lemon in their food, so they they have more sour palate. So so it's the, all the drink you're gonna have will be more on the sour side. So let's talk a little bit about Maze. What was the concept behind it, and uh, how did you go about opening it? So the concept, the concept originally, I wanted to do something with travels, you know, like to bring flavors from uh, from all the food uh, I have, because that's a bit how I build my drink, you know, with taste and flavor that I meet uh, when I when I travel. Um, but for Greg, my business partner who owns Cocktail Kingdom as well, you know mm-hmm. Greg, yeah. um, he was like, oh no, let's do something not as complicated. So we were like, why not doing spices, you know, because spice is very easy to understand for everyone. People cook and it's uh, you basically, you pretty much have it in all the drinks. So we decided to do that. Uh, then we had to find a name. Um, me, I wanted a spice name. Uh, Clove was my favorite, to be honest, but you have already Clover Club. Yeah. You have Clove Club. So it, it was like two used, and, and we wanted something that's easy to understand and remember as well. So short. Uh, and Mace, I think, was a, was a good fit. Yeah. Except for the fact that I didn't know that it was as well as paper spray. Oh, really? <laughs> and a medieval weapon, you know, with the, with the chain ah, and the yes, ball. So, yeah. so some people who don't know, because Mace is not the most famous <laughs> spice. But what, what kind of bar is that? Like, this stupid what name. Like, guys like, do that? Yeah. <laughs> and but, how did that go? Good, 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 good. Well received, you know. Like uh, after opening, uh, we 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 entered the the, the fifty best. We were nominated at Tales for for world best menu. We won most creative cocktail list uh, time out awards. So a lot of stuff here and there that uh, that gave us recognition. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, how old is Mace now? No, it's four years. Yeah, we open uh, we open in two thousand fourteen. No, fifteen. So four years, four years. But we moved the location uh, recently. Ah, uh, uh, how come? 
because the the first place was a bit too small. We didn't have a kitchen. The prep was a bit complicated. We had to always to do it on the bar. Now we have a bigger space. We have two rooms. We have a kitchen and better location, to be honest, because Macy's was at the end of his village, and you have to walk there. And if you don't take a cab, it can be a long walk, very hot in uh, in summer, very cold in winter. So I think we we had less traffic, and uh, and now the, the location is way better. It's going to be a two blocks from the new subway uh, exit from the L line. So it's good. Uh, we, we saw it right away and the numbers almost double uh, when we opened the new place. No way, yeah. really? Oh, that's good for you then. Very good. Have you ever thought about opening another maze? Yes, uh, I had that conversation actually yesterday. <laughs> okay, okay. So we'll leave that there. Uh, so. It's, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, we'll see. But uh, I need to talk to Greg. You know, Mace is not only mine. So we uh, we have to we have to agree both on uh, what to do ne next. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, especially in this part of the world, it would be a good fit. Talk to us a little bit about your other ventures. So... Danico, Danico is, I was not supposed to go back to Paris. I wanted to live in New York, but, uh, two friends of mine, uh, showed me the space, uh, for Danico in a Galerie Vivienne. It's an old, uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier showroom, you know, famous boutique he had. And the, the place is beautiful. And I was like, no, I can't say no to that. So, so we opened Danico. There's no concept like Mace, you know, it's more like a cocktail bar. We have a lab. We do like a drink, uh, the, the same style, style of drink. I actually use some drinks for both venues, you know. But yeah, we decided to do it, and uh, and uh, I hired Thibaut uh, at that time. You know, when I, when I knew uh, we opened Danico, I asked him if he wanted to be the bar manager. I, I, I brought him to uh, to Mace a little bit for a few months to mm -hmm. work, and then uh, he opened it, and I'm very happy with it. Yeah, we have a, we have a good team. Uh, How did you get to know Thibaut? We, I met Thibaut at Happiness Forgets. Uh, I was when I was bartending, he came, uh, and he was like uh, young, you know, no beard, and was, uh, he looks like twelve years old. Okay. He asked yeah. me. If he asked me. Uh, he yeah. looks very young with a beard. <laughs> I can't imagine him without a beard. Yeah. Without a beard, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it was in 2014. So, and uh, I think I told, uh, I introduced him to Alex Kratena to work mm -hmm. at uh, Artisan, but I think his English was not good enough at the moment. Uh, so he joined Experimental Cocktail Club. Then he started working there, you know, and uh, and then I saw him again in New York. We started hanging out. Uh, I saw like he was, you know, he, he's from the, he has a food background as well. He worked uh, for Alexandre Gauthier La Grenouillère. Uh, I thought we were like very compatible, you know, we, we love the same thing. And uh, I, I thought, yeah, it was a good fit. Uh, he's, a, he's an amazing bar manager, but he's uh, as well one of my best friends. Talk to us a little bit about the cocktail scene in Paris. Cocktail scene in Paris, it's, it's growing. It's, uh, it's, it's been changing so much. You know, now you have more than 50 bars. You have amazing bars, that's for sure. Uh, it's slowing down a little bit now. Uh, there is like so many bars opening at some point. But I think people realize it's not that easy to make money with a cocktail bar in France. You know, it's, um, the staff cost is huge. And, uh, and the clientele is not, you know, the one that goes all the time in cocktail bar. Then, they go like, you know, to, to bars, brasserie. We don't have as well like that after work uh, stuff that you can have in New York. So it's a good city. Uh, you have a recognition for the bar. You have a lot of different type of bar. But yes, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not the easiest uh, business. So some people, when they open their own, some open a second one. And I think a lot of people realize, hmm, it's better to have just one or two. Yeah, no, and uh, there's still a lot of wine, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. wine, a lot of wine and beers as well, you know, like, uh, so it's... Uh, I'm not saying it's not busy on huh? the bar, busy, of course, but the, the cost of the, the rent, the cost of, of the, the spirits and the staff costs are pretty high. So it, it's not the easiest city to, to open a cocktail bar. You travel quite a lot, uh, as we established, with work. How do you go about organizing all these travels? 
Like, do you sit down at the beginning of the year and plan, or I do six months around six months uh, plan ahead. Uh, is 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 the good fit for the moment? Uh, usually, people ask me, "Oh, do you want to come here and come there to get shift?" So I always say, well, let, "Let's talk a bit later because I have a list." Uh, and then I take an order. I recontact the people. I say, "Okay, so if you want to do it, we can do it uh, in six months, in seven months." And then I organize that like that. And then you have the bar show as well in the middle. And uh, yeah. So when you go to a venue, do you bring uh, some standardized cocktails across the board, or do you tailor the menu according to the destination where you go? Uh, so say, do you have like ten drinks that you always use, or you say, oh, I'm going to New York, therefore I'm making this. I'm going to Paris, I make this. I'm going to Tokyo, I make this. No, it's uh, yeah, of course. First, it's not always the same brands because you know sometimes I'm going to mm-hmm. be uh, sent somewhere by Bacardi, sometimes it's going to be with Diageo, sometimes with Maison Ferrand. So this is the first thing that changed. Uh, yes, I have uh, a handful of cocktails that I use a lot. I sometimes create drinks for the destination, but to be honest, like we have now like so many a range of so many drinks between Danico and Maze that I, I just choose the one with the right fit. Oh, for okay, the so yeah, thing. you've got a lot of a, a big pool to choose from. Yeah, yeah, big pool to choose. What are the challenges that you have when you travel abroad? Hangovers. Hangovers. That's <laughs> number one, probably. Yeah. How much stuff do you pack in uh, terms of ingredients and glasses? Do you bring your own menus? No, no. Uh, the, I used to bring the one from Maze, but uh, I, I stopped doing that. But I should do it again. It's, it's just a matter of weight, you know. Like you have 23 kilos, and, and uh, sometimes I have uh, not enough, uh, not, not enough room for it. Same, like you know, I do a bar tools with Cocktail Kingdom. Mm-hmm. I have uh, mixed in like a metal uh, stirring uh, glass, and um, and I'm raising some shakers soon as well. But that they're heavy as well, so you know I, I can't really bring them. Uh, with me, but uh, always pack the same thing. You know, there's always like the, but ingredients and tools I don't bring with me. It's more like you know, like clothes and CrossFit shoes. Okay, do <laughs> you bring zero zero ingredients with you? No, 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 no. So, uh, I mean, I, I bring ingredients when uh, they don't have it. For example, so a lot of countries they don't have uh, tonka beans, so uh, they're illegal in some countries. Yeah, so in, in America it's illegal. Uh, yeah, I think here too now. Yeah, also legal in Singapore. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of stuff I will bring, um, and uh, sometimes if it's not too much, if it's, uh, I will bring a milk punch, for example, the whole drink together. But uh, but usually uh, the team, you know, the bar where I'm going, they're really good, so they they, they, they do the prep perfectly, almost every time. Almost, yeah. There's, there's some incidents sometimes. Of course, like, but that's why we work in bars, exactly. right? Because we like incidents. Mm. What is uh, talking about incidents? What's uh, the funniest travel incident that's happened to you in an airport? Because mm-hmm. I used to kickstart. Like I, I remember once I was uh, I landed in Rome. I was doing some events there, and then I repacked and I and I was going to I think Oslo. And I went to the airport and I forgot my knives in my hand luggage. So then I went through security, right? And I, I can see my luggage. I goes to the side. I say, like, Oh, what did I forget my deodorant now? And like and the guy's like, Oh, do you have any sharp objects in your bag? And I'm like, No. It's like, What well, did I forget my deodorant? And the guy's like, No. It's not your deodorant. And then you open and you find these huge oh, knives, man. God. Yeah. Luckily, they allowed me to check them in. But yeah, he was super upset about it. They called the police. And they called the police? Yeah. Goodness. So they basically they had their luggage on the side and then they, they called the police. And I had to wait for a police officer to show up. And then there was a police officer next to me and the guy was inspecting my luggage. Wow. So yeah. 
house yeah, no, with, with that I've got a, uh, always like you know little problem they, they look and uh, I travel with uh, you know like the the, the balls uh, it's like massage balls uh -huh. I use a lot uh, for, for soft tissue work like uh, with CrossFit and uh, when they open when they make me open the bag it really looks like some weird dildos you know <laughs> So people are looking and looking at me. I'm like, Whoa. I always hate when they open my bag with those stuff. I almost not take, take them anymore. Because really? Of that. Yeah. Mm. So the people in the airport think that you are a weird uh, dildo collecting. Yeah, they, they take it say, what is that? You know, super loud. Like the one is looking. It's horrible. You seem to be pretty much uh, a lot into CrossFit, right? Yes, yes. It's, it's a good balance for me. You know, like we do work, uh, travel, a lot of drinking. I uh, love eating as well, and uh, and CrossFit for me is a good balance. You know, uh, I, I need it in, in my life because it could be another sport. I, mean, I think you need to balance with sport. Uh, when you work and travel and drink, uh, it makes you healthier, I guess. You know, like it's uh, you sweat the alcohol. Like yesterday, I was feeling so bad, and I went to CrossFit, sweat, sweat it out, and felt great after. You know, so mm -hmm. so this is one of the tools that you use to make sure that you keep. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's a, you know it's CrossFit is a bit everywhere, so it's kind of easy to find a box and uh, go and train. And if not, you know, you just find a gym and just just work out. But yeah, talking to bartenders that are uh, somewhere uh, slightly established in their career, but they still have to make the big jump. Uh, what kind of uh, recommendation would you give them uh, in order for them to get themselves out there? Well, it's two two stuff. You know, first, don't be in a rush. You know, I see a lot of young guys. Uh, they don't want to work behind the bar, but they want to travel and mm -hmm. uh, do do what I do, for example. But, you know, I did uh, 10 years, more than 10 years behind the bar before starting tra to travel. Um, they want to, they, they come and they say, oh, I want to do fat wash. But I say, oh, tell me about the distillation process. And they don't know. So, you know, I, I, my first advice is first do your class, you know, like work as a bar back, as a bartender, like do that for a while. And then if you want to be out there, yeah, I guess, you know, like, you have to meet people. You have to be on the bar show. You have to go go to master class. You have to do gay shift. Uh, you have to be at there. You have to travel. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the more you travel, the more you will travel. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, so it's like that. Me, I, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm, I travel a lot, but uh, I'm single. You know, if I if I had a wife at home or kids, I couldn't do that. You know, it's, you need to be very flexible to be able to travel as well. Mm -hmm. Do you think you'll stop traveling as much as you do at some point? I don't think I'll stop traveling, you know. Uh, I was talking to someone who told me that uh, that when people who travel a lot like that, when they stop traveling, they get depressed. Uh, they, 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 and, and, you know, like, I see it at home. If I stay two weeks at home, I'm already, like, moving, you know. Like, I need to do something. Uh, yeah, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. So it's getting itchy. So uh, less, probably, yeah, you know, because it's, uh, it's like last year I've been to 28 countries, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, this year, I think it's going to be more. Uh, so it's it's intense, um, but uh, but stop traveling never. Like I love it too much. There's so many new places I haven't been. I've been to to 87 countries. There's like around 200 countries in the world. So that's crazy to think huh? yeah. that there's so many places that we just don't even think about. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. In some continents where not really accessible, you know, like you, you look at Africa, for example. I only been to South Africa, Morocco, and Tunisia, uh, but there's so many. I mean, it's a whole continent, so many things to discover, but it's not really showcased. You know, people always talk about Kenya, you know, the safari, but it's a whole continent with, I'm sure, like so many, you know, even the food, the spices, so many stuff we don't know. When uh, you travel, uh, do you tend to take ideas and then bring them back to your bar from your travels? Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, I, I don't like to really copy. 
but uh, yeah, of course, you know, like it can be ingredient, it can be, uh, you know, like glassware or, you know, like or sometimes design ID for Unix bar. Uh, one of my favorite bar in the world is Operation Dagger, and I mm -hmm. really love the design inside. You know, uh, those bulbs. It's on fantastic. Is I it? would love to have that in my bar, but that would be copying. You know, so mm -hmm. I can't do that. But uh, but from from that place, uh, I I got inspired. You know, from many places, from many bars. Yeah, many it's, a, it's a very fine line in between copying a place and taking inspiration from it. Mm. But I think there are certain standout standout features that some places have, and that's theirs, and you can't touch it anymore. Yeah. You know, so you can take. Maybe inspiration from a shape of a vessel or a glass, but you know, as you said, light bulbs. That's operation. Yeah, like, yeah, if you do anything, yeah. that's such a cool idea yeah. he had. Eh? It's uh, it's actually Thibaut show me. It was uh, so that was part of an exposition, I think. So oh yeah, uh, those bulbs. Yeah. Oh really? Luke really like uh, arts uh, apparently. So you mm -hmm. know, he, he, he takes a lot of inspiration from all those those stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think you, I was at one of his masterclasses once, and he said that. It's just they have this wall of lights, right? And they, they just change randomly. Mm. Like there's not really a thought process behind which one light bulb they change, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah. whenever they feel like, oh, there should be a bit of light there, they just move it over. But it's got such a great atmosphere. Right? Yeah, you know, it's uh, at atmosphere. The, it's not a bar for everyone, for sure, but atmosphere, the drinks are fantastic. When I, when I went the first time, I um, tried the whole menu. Boom. Mm -hmm. It's so good. What other bars do you really like in terms of uh, design there's, there's so many look at i mean the most beautiful room in the world probably is, is atlas mm. it's uh, such a beautiful bar eh? it, it's insane huh? uh, i really love himcock uh, manhattan bar there's so many in the world you know yeah we are very lucky because in our industry if you work in like say design or anything no it's something that is not tied to a room sometimes you when you go around, there's only ugly offices that you see mm. well we get to see some amazing places right yeah oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some there's some city where you know, of course, it's less tough to visit. Uh, I was in Houston recently, uh, and it's uh, it's not a city where you're gonna spend days walk walking around. You know, it's a very uh, uh, business city, but has a great scene, so you, you can really have fun. But yeah, you don't not gonna walk around the city uh, in Houston, for example. Yeah. But then you go to places like Tokyo, where you have like uh, millions of bars, and when you can walk around all day, all night. Uh, mm -hmm. Cities like Paris, Roma, uh, Singapore. If you didn't live in uh, New York, where would you see yourself? So I moved back to Paris. Mm -hmm. So now you live in Paris for? I, I live in Paris. I moved back in uh, last July. I'm still in New York a lot. You know, I go there every two months uh, taking care of maize, but I moved back to Paris to be more central. It's a bit easier with Europe. Um, so if it was not uh, New York or Paris, to, I mean, Sydney, I love Sydney, I love Singapore, I love Tokyo. Um, but to live is a different story. So I couldn't live in Tokyo, for example. Mm. It's uh, it's too different. But for the, I made a joke recently uh, on Facebook. It was April first, and I was walking around in. Oh uh, yeah, I read that the, <laughs> the bar thing. Yeah, I was walking around in uh, Tokyo, and I see an empty space, you know. And I had my Airbnb key in my pocket, so I just took a picture of it. Oh, finally, I have the key of my new bar in Tokyo, and it all went. Uh, Mad banana after that. Yeah, I uh, think there's still people asking still people you. <laughs> sending CV and asking me like, at the at the <laughs> best the other day like oh, what about the bar in Tokyo? What about the bar in Tokyo? I put on Facebook, stop sending me CVs. It was a joke. <laughs> you must open a bar now because you already have the stuff lined up. No? Yeah, yeah, I would like for there. Yeah, but Tokyo, Tokyo again. You know, it's uh, it's for me it would be very complicated. I don't even speak Japanese. How can you? You can't open a. a bar in a country where where you don't speak the language i think you'd have to find a person you really trust yeah who can run that but i think in japan is just very complicated is it 
Yeah. It's very complicated. It's a lot of bars. It's very complicated to make money as well because, you know, in Japan, uh, you can open a bar uh, if you find a room. You don't need a liquor license. Mm -hmm. So you need just the inspector to come, the health inspection, and then pay for the tax for the city, and that's it. So there's so many bars. In, in Ginza itself, there's 800 bars, more than 800 bars in Ginza. And in the whole Tokyo, there's many. So a lot of them, they're not very busy. Uh, Shingo was telling me that... Um, uh, SJ Club that it just opened is the busiest bar in Japan, but it's way less busy than the than, uh, Spiklo in Shanghai. Uh -huh. So yeah, it's, uh, you have to, to, to see as well. You know, it's, it's fun to, to, uh, to open a bar in a cool city, but it, it's business as well. You have to make, uh, it has to be profitable. I was speaking with Weno about it, and he said to me one of the things that they do is uh, you work yourself with a master and then you establish yourself. And yeah. then when your name is big enough, then you go and move into your own bar, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you, 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 it's like a bit like uh, the kitchen before, you know, like you peel potato for one year and then you make ratatouille for one year and then, you know, you make your way up. Uh, in, in Japan, it's very like that. And you see, huh, there's no, no many, not many uh, Japanese traveler, uh, Japanese bartenders are really traveling who do things uh, international, like Shingo, you have Weno, you have a, a few other guys, but, uh, but it's, that's it. It's an handful. Confi considering how many bars you have, it's literally like very, very few, few bartenders. Eh? Yeah. But, uh, but because as well, you know, a lot of bars there, there's only one bartender. It's the, it's the owner, mm. and the guy is going to come, he open, he close, and if he's not there, the bar is closed. So they don't travel, they just have their holidays, and that's it. What's the ideal size of a bar, in your opinion? I think around like uh, between 60 and 80 seats, I guess. Okay, so reasonably small. 60, I think, is good, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, how many stations would you have in a bar? It's like that size. Two. Two, two stations, stations, yeah. Two stations. So you'd like your bar to be a, like a dominant feature of the room or do you like it to be something on the side? No, no, to be dominant, yeah. You know, it yeah. has to be the, the, the central nerves. And, and actually, you know, like... I, I, in a bar, I like the bar to be next to the to the door, to the entry. Uh, so even if you have the the bartender, you can really like have eye contact and greet people at the same time. When the bar is in the end, you know people sometimes they're a bit afraid to to come in. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have five people sit at the bar only in in uh, and the bar is at the beginning, people from the street they come and see people and they they come in. But if you have those four people at the bar that's at the end of the room, the whole place looks empty. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's the that's the advantage to have that and uh, and to be the the central nerve, you know, like of the bar. When you design uh, menus and when you design drinks for your venues, what's the sort of style that you want to achieve? Because f to give you some examples, for instance, I was speaking to Matt the other day, Matt Wiley, and he was saying to me that when he designs drinks for his venues in London, he likes to think about what's the best expression of it. And then without thinking too much about practicality, while when he designed this venue in Sydney, he said a lot of people come to the bar to order. So I designed all my drinks to make sure that my guests can hold it in one hand and take it to the table safely. Oh, yeah. uh, ah, that's interesting. I never yeah. thought about that, actually. No, no. Uh, to be honest, me, I designed the drinks. Uh, I always do the same thing. You know, I have a, a 12 drinks menu. Always 12? Always 12. Uh, I do uh, one spirit. I'm not going to repeat the spirit. I'm not going to repeat the flavor. If there's ginger, I'm not gonna put ginger into drinks. And there's so many spirits, so I try to do always, you know, like one pisco, one vodka, one uh, one rum, one cachaça, etc. And then I don't I don't start when I design drinks from um, from uh, oh I'm gonna do an aquavit drink. It's, I'm gonna start from flavor. So I have a file on my computer and, and iPhone where every time I travel, every time I see um, something interesting like flavor combination, I write it down. 
And when I, I design a menu, I open that file and I'm like, oh yeah, that uh, wasabi uh, horseradish, uh, that's uh, wasabi pomelo. Uh, I'm going to make a drink with it. Like, so pomelo, grapefruit, and then I did a twist of the paloma with it. Mm -hmm. right? I start from uh, those flavors that, uh, that I had in, actually in Japan. I had a, a dessert with uh, pomelo and wasabi that was amazing. Uh -huh. And then it became in the end a paloma. But I didn't start, uh, I'm going to make a twist of the paloma. Okay, so you work your way from the flavors from the that you flavors, want to recreate. Yeah. Have you ever had any challenges with uh, putting a drink on the menu and you realize that people didn't really like it? Yes, yes, of course. And, you know, you, you, you make your own mistake. You, you, you live and learn. But uh, sometimes I, I get very challenging. I wanted to do once uh, uh, a twist of the dirty martini, but more with a shiitake brine. And, I, and it was some moss, you know, like moss infused. It was not really good. It was not really good. And you good. still put it on the menu? Yeah, yeah we put it on yeah. the menu, but then I move it. I move it. You know, yeah, I realized that maybe this wasn't my best creation. <laughs> but, but in the end of the day, after as well, you know, like it's... Uh, you have drink, you know they're not gonna they're not gonna be sold a lot, but bartenders, for example, they will drink that one. Uh, they are very challenging, but not for everyone. Uh, call that the Joker drinks, and then you know you have some drink that everyone's gonna order. If you put a red drink or with raspberry, for example, everyone yeah, crowd will order. Everyone's gonna order. Uh, so yeah, but uh, generally, generally, it's uh, things are working well. Otherwise, you just rebalance it a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, and readjust. Yeah. Uh, speaking uh, lastly about uh, industry events, there are a lot of bar shows at the moment, like around the world. Uh, I, I can't even uh, name them anymore. Yeah. Like there, there are so many. You know, like uh, the next one I'm going is a Perfect Serve in Amsterdam. So I'm doing a conference there, and, I've, and after that, you know, I'm uh, from this year. I'm um, there's the bar show in France called Cocktail Spirits every year. It's uh, it's 12th edition already. And, uh, and this year, so they have a stage called Le Bar Rouge where bar comes and they do presentation. It's, it's a really good concept they have because it's, a, it's more, it's presentation about the bar and the scene and not about, like, you know, a product or stuff like that. And they bring bars from all around the world. So I'm in charge this year, uh, to, to make the selection of the bars and as well to talk on the stage, you know, to introduce the stage. Um, so that's, that, that one is a big part of my schedule uh, this year. Yeah. Do you think uh, so? There's a growing number of bar shows. There's a growing like number. You have Athens. You have, I mean, like Lisbon. I think is coming. Uh, Oslo. You, so there's, there's like there's something in Tokyo right now. No. Yeah, the, the, it was last week. Last, last week, weekend. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, so, some I haven't been. You know, I haven't been to the one in Athens. Um, la, la, two weeks ago, we were in uh, Baring Gage. It's it's one in uh, Larissa in Greece. That was really 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 good. So it's growing. There's more bar show and, uh, and some bar show are getting bigger and bigger. So you can make the, you, pretty much your own schedule all year according to bar show if you want. Yeah. Uh, do you think we're reaching the point where there's too many? I don't know because, you know, there is too many for who? For us. But there's no, when you live in a country, you want a bar show. So mm -hmm. if you put bar show in every city, it's good for, for all the cities. For the communities, yeah. So, so for us... On the schedule, yes, maybe, but the more bar show you have and the more our world and, and you know, the, the cocktail bar, the spirits is going to get, you're going to reach more people. So it's very good. It's a fantastic point of view, actually. Uh, last question is a question asked to everyone. If you could choose uh, your very last drink, what would your last drink be? Something with pandan. Really? <laughs> it will be, it will pro it will be probably a, a, a smackery. You know a smackery? <laughs> yeah, of course. That will be a smackery because I think uh, people want me to die uh, with that drink, I think. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much for finding the time, Nick. Thanks it was for amazing. Me. Thank you.
We hope you enjoyed our interview with Nico. We are unjiggered underscore media on Instagram, and you can follow our accounts at mmariotti89 for Michele, Alex J. Murphy for myself, and Adrian Besser for Adrian. Thank you for listening.